Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, dedicated to making you a better seller. Recorded 4,827 miles across the Atlantic Ocean with Bobby Das from Houston, Texas, a father, husband, golfer, pilot, and tech seller. And Brian Evans, an expat in London, England, family man, 2X Ironman, and an ERP salesman. Both sharing tried and true sales strategies and providing free tools to make each week and campaign easier for you. They also answer your questions weekly. Now, here is Bobby and Brian. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? Today we have Taylor for Resonance. We are doing a series on the Challenger Cell. Uh, it's been a fun series to work through. Today is all about how do you tailor your message for, let's say you have six you know, customers like you do, Bobby, or let's say you have 600 prospective customers. We're going to help you kind of think through that. How do you approach your, your customer list and how do you apply it to the, to make it relevant for them? We're also going to talk about how to take control of the cell cycle. If you've missed the other episodes, it's probably worth starting at the beginning. What we started with at the beginning is kind of comparing and contrasting the challenger cell to the traditional spin cell approach and solution selling. So we talked about kind of you know what what's worked, what didn't work, some of the old school questions, and how the challenger cell has really transformed the process. We talked about the old uh, personas, so different personality types, and how you may have approached sales in the past, and how the challenger uh, persona is a strong one and it's one that will really be the one that survives over the next decade and then last week we kind of brought it all together and we talked about the six steps of the challenger way and we gave an example we gave a workday example the company that i work for today so we thought today would be good just to cover off on both tailoring for residents and taking control of the cell it continues to happen where I talk to reps and they're like, you can't control the sales process. You can't control the customer conversation. And I do think if you follow the previous three episodes and, and read the book, you, you can create and control the conversation. About two years ago, I was at a sales trip with a vendor named CDW here in the States. They sell billions and billions of dollars worth of product and have millions of products that they do sell. And in the hallways, internally to them, there were posters everywhere that said, create, control, and dominate. You know, CDW might sell a whole lot of things that everybody else sells. But through the power of this message, their reps are seeing every day that they create the opportunities, control those opportunities, and then dominate. They will be successful. And I think it's in any pitch, it's absolutely critical that your audience understands and relates to the story you're telling by tailoring it to the problems that they have and they see in the real world. Yeah, and it's hard because we, as we talked about, it's, it takes time to research the, the people, the companies that you talk to before you start prospecting. And then secondarily, the outcome of your sales call will largely hinge on the specific idea that you articulate in the first. So if you, if you just make a wild assumption that a technology company is uh, growing and you're, you strike out on that, and it's a blind touch. If you had failed to do that research, you're not going to get the second. You know, you're, you're probably not going to get the second chance. They're going to think that you sent something off that's far too generic, and that you didn't take the time to tailor the message specifically for them. Yeah, and last week we were talking about how can you not take the time to go through the process of teaching your customer if it if it is just bland, it's average at best, and you're not going to get the opportunity to meet with those customers. In essence, I'd almost say don't write the email to begin with because it's such a waste of time. 
you're not you're not going to get that time back. You're not, but you can scale across customers if you've got that list of 600. Uh, we're going to talk about some ways that you can uh, scale that list to be a bit more relevant without having to go customer by customer. 600 is probably a little bit on the large scale. So let's let's narrow that down to, let's say, 80 to 100 prospective customers that you're working with all the way down to four or five uh, big customers that you'll be working with. Which in mid-market and commercial, I've, I've had those lists many times. And today in the enterprise world, my, there's a lot of people that think me having six accounts is too many because I, I can't get to all the people that I need to get to in those six accounts. So I like that number. Let's start there and teach people how to build that narrative for those 100 accounts. That's great. So what I do, Bobby, I, and this is for every company that I've worked for, is I have a Google Sheet that I use, and I've got it split up into different uh, columns and rows. Uh, the first column is customer. Wait, real quick. When you were at Microsoft, you had a Google Sheet. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty slick stuff. It's okay. pretty slick. They probably didn't love Just that. Just checking. <laughs> uh, so the first column is the customer. The second column is the results that customer has achieved. So, for example, in the last episode, we we talked about Custom Inc. and the result they achieved through Workday, and this is published on Workday.com is they achieved 30 to 40% company growth without adding additional resources. So the third column I have is growth, or I'm sorry, it's outcome. And the outcome for Custom Inc. was growth. I kind of put that into a kind of a master category. That could be operational efficiency. It could be total cost of ownership. It could be return on investments. The third now, the fourth column that I use is the, the, the set of products or the set of wares that they bought. So maybe they just bought HR, maybe they just bought financials. The next column I have is the industry that they're in because industry is important. Companies or customers relate to companies that uh, have achieved these type of results. And then the final column I have is a link to that actual case study if it exists. Some of these are more anecdotal conversational points. And some of these are real hard case studies that I can link directly to. Perfect. That seems like a great way to categorize those. Now, let me preemptively guess how Brian takes all that work to address 100 accounts and pairs it down. Because I would assume that if someone in the industry of energy received the results of ROI or return on investment, uh, and I have 100 accounts that maybe. 12 of my accounts have have a commonality there and that the message might be very similar that I'm able to articulate to both of those. That's right. Yeah, I want a consistent narrative, right? It you if you have, you know, 800 prospective customers or 80 prospective customers, um, you you can very quickly get to the points where you have a rele, re, uh, relevant story. Even if let's say they're a tech company or an energy company and they've not faced the same challenge you know, a, a past customer has not uh, faced the same challenge that this new prospective customer has, they're at least going to be interested in what that company did and the results they achieved through Workday. So maybe you're not as specific if you haven't done the, the research that you need to on that customer, but they'll at least find it interesting. Hey, this is a customer in our industry that have, res, re, uh, that have achieved results through Workday. Might be worth a 30-minute conversation. Also, I think when you have that industry overlap you're going to pique their interest if you've done business with any of their competitors locally i would say out of my six customers four of them are direct competitors 
All the while, there's enough business to go around for all four of them. They're very interested in what each other is doing. And without having to gleam or share competitive information, you can, you can tell a story that's going to help build your case. So once you have that concert, concert, <laughs> consistent narrative, uh, you want to make sure that you're overlapping not just their industry now, but the business challenges that they faced, and then help those customers see how they can achieve better results ROI or that I think it was your third or fourth column, Brian, how those things can start coming together. So maybe you have a bunch of industry similar type customers, and then you can start telling three or four things that they've all improved on at different levels, as you mentioned, to achieve results with your product or wares. Yeah. And what you're not doing on any of this with none of these statements, are you saying, Hey, wouldn't it be great to have workday for financials? You've not come out and said, oh, we've got this great way for you to reconcile multi-entities, multi-currency trans- transactions. You're, you're, not, you're not pointing at any capabilities of the technology. You're pointing to business outcomes, which tends to be far more interesting to customers. You're going to get to that other stuff. You're going to lead them to uh, the product that you're actually selling. You just don't want to start off with the product you're selling. Like, How many emails do you get that's It's like, you know, some marketing newsletter that just, it's just a bunch of corporate jargon that I'm supposed to decipher and then, and then decide if I have this problem, right? I'd, I'd much rather be um, teased with an outcome. Like this, this, we talked about this strap that I've bought this, uh, it's called Whoop, W-H-O-O-P. They're not an advertiser. We'd love to be an av- them to be an advertiser, but, but basically they didn't sell me by saying, hey, we are measuring HRV, your heart rate variability. That's not how they sold it, but that's effectively what the product does. What they sold me on was that Lawson Craddock, who did the Tour de France, used this to measure his own performance, and it helped him know when he needed to have an off day versus a training day. So it helped him. Uh, that's that's the outcome it helped him with. He was able to uh, train more efficiently and effectively and become strong, a stronger cyclist because of it. We talked about it last week too. You can't say what you do first. Like uh, we sell human capital resource management software that leads the world. It, it's the the leading with your product's never going to be the right thing to do. And I think as as we continue down this podcast road, we should do an episode again on how people tell their story so they don't lead with what they do, but lead with how they impact customers' business, so that we can help them deliver a better story as well. And we also need to make our content informative and tailored to every conversation that we have. Demonstrate our, demonstrate our unique challenges that we've solved for those customers. Um, it doesn't always have to be the buzzwords. It has to be your stories. And that's where I think you've got to be really good at uh, having experiences and then using others' experiences in your message to become more relevant to your customers. So, Bobby, what if your marketing team has not prepared all of this stuff for you, like market, Workday is world class when it comes to uh, gathering customer evidence, but they didn't give me this Google Sheets of data that I that I've got here. If if your marketing team isn't a challenger type company, you've got to, and then and you enjoy the company you work for, and you want to continue working there, and you want to be successful, and all that kind of good stuff, right? This these are these columns that I talked about: customer results achieved, outcome. It's so like the type of outcome they achieve, so growth, operational efficiency, what products they bought, and then uh, industry, and then maybe a link to that case study. It probably doesn't exist in this beautiful Google Sheet that you've got put together. There's probably going to be a little bit of heavy lifting, but wouldn't it be nice to have that done? 
what, you know, if you spent, even if it took a month for you to put something like this together and you spoke to other reps that have been successful at your company and you researched white papers, it, you know, Microsoft is, they'll do $115 billion uh, this year, actually probably more than that, probably $125 billion this year. They have nothing like this. It doesn't exist today, but it's not because they don't have customer stories. It's just not expressed in a way that's easy for salespeople to get to. Well, you asked me what I would do, Brian. I would just wait. I would wait for it to come. <laughs> I would sit by and wait. And that's what the average rep would do. But um, how about get a mentor, hear their stories, get two mentors, ask your sales manager. I, I think we said this probably a month and a half ago in, a, in an episode. Why not ask your customers? We all have customers. Go on a meeting where you're not trying to sell them something, and you'll be surprised. You'll probably sell them something. But talk to them. You know, you bought, you buy from us tier one storage. Why do you buy from us and not the other guys? And just listen. Quit trying to tell your yeah. story. Listen. You know, what, what is the relationship between you and Workday doing for your company? Just listen. Add those things in those categories, and you'll be amazed at how fast your spreadsheet gets full of data. And then here's the tip that I know we hear from people all the time. How do I get my next job? What should I do from a networking perspective? Blah, blah, blah. Share this context with your friends and coworkers and make sure everyone has it with them because you'll look like the rock star that you want to be. Don't hold this stuff in. I think early on in my career, I did a lot of these good things and I kept my arms wrapped around them and I wouldn't share them with people. And I realized that uh, through a lot of mentorship, the sharing, it was much more better for me in my career and amazing things started happening once I started sharing it. This is now a, a public an internally public Google sheet um, that's not built by marketing, it's built by me and I've got probably 20 or 30 people that constantly contribute to this thing. So it's a master database for us to prospect into customers. It's a great way for us to do it. Well there you I, go, now, no you're not, now you're not even having to create it all, it's, it's other people are contributing. That's right, yep. I'd say and then I, there's two other things I'd add to this, and then we'll jump on to take control of the sale. So the the first thing I'd add is, it doesn't don't always think about it as industry. Industry is important, but it's not always the most important thing. So for example, if a customer is, let's just continue going down this path of growth. If uh, you know Custom Inc is a technology company, so if they're adding 30 to 40% more headcount without having to add more resources to the back office and Workday is helping them enable that, don't feel like that message is only relevant to other technology companies. If it's a retail customer, it's kind of, it's kind of innovate or die in the retail world, you know, this retail world that Amazon is, is dominating these days. If you've got a retail company that has big growth aspirations, they're disrupting the market, they may see themselves as a tech company. So focus more on the outcome that the company wants to achieve versus the industry that they're in. I think that's, I think it's is equally as important. So let's jump into take control. Let's do it. Uh, this is another one to where having good mentors is going to be really important. Let's say, let's take the, if you're experienced, you've done really well at your company, you've got a dozen wins or a hundred wins under your belt. You know how to take control of the sale. If you're new to your company, even if you have, existing sales experience, the sales cycle is very likely going to be different. So talk to those top performers. That's the first thing I did at Workday back three and a half years ago. I spoke with uh, two of the, the very top performers in the company, and I just asked them, like, tell me what an evaluation looks like. Tell me about evaluations you win. Tell me about evaluations you lose. 
you will learn so much for those conversations. That is, that is worth your time in gold to have these types of meetings. Is it short evaluation cycles? Are you sharing price early? Are you doing demos quick in the sell cycle? Are you doing a really long, drawn-out uh, discovery process? Really take the time to understand what's unique about the company it is you're working for and what processes work and what processes don't. I find often that I, I, we talk about a reverse timeline evaluation plans, the way that maybe in the sales process we use a little bit to control the conversation. But it is about holding firm to the value, not not competing on price. I still say reps are the reason why we talk about price as early as we do, not customers. People are willing to pay for value all the time. Cherie said it. Many other people have said it on the podcast. Value is key, but you have to be in control of what that value is. My time is valuable. If customers waste my time, I get really frustrated really quick. One of my customers right now won't move forward in the next step of a process that we need to do. And I'm, I keep joking with my virtual team. I'm going to write a Dear John letter and we're about to break up because I, my time is too valuable. And I'm not going to let them continue to have me come shoot the breeze with them without any movement forward. Now, that doesn't mean that Dear John letter is going to be something that I never call on that account ever again, but I'm ready to take a different approach. I'm ready to reach out to different people. I'm ready to try something new. The same old same is going to change. They're taking advantage of my time. And it's about being aggressive and not assertive, it was, which is I think is exactly what you're talking about. You're being... You're, you're taking control of this process, not being just led along by a string here. I think it's really important. It, it, if you think about, I mean, it's going to be a spectrum, right? We've got people on all ends of the spectrum of what they're selling. The solutions you and I sell cost millions and millions of dollars. The pursuits cost tens of thousands of dollars, these sales pursuits. So being responsible with our company's t- t- you know, money and our time, it's important. You, you need to be assertive in this process. The only way you can be assertive, though, is by having experience. And if you don't have experience, then you should, have, you should be talking to those experienced people on your team and really taking their feedback to heart as to which opportunities you should be investing in. Another way to take control that quite often gets missed a lot as well is creating a pitch or tailoring your, your story around something that's broader than just the one person you may be engaging with. Too often in my world today, the team gets a a relationship with a storage administrator and they don't get outside of that person while an executive has a very different story to tell or a very different plan for the organization moving forward. But if a pitch can resonate with a storage administrator, a director of IT, and the CIO, in my world, that's a story that's going to close a deal for me. i got to get everybody to have a reason to be bought into my pitch And that's going to help me control the conversation so that if I do have a breakup with the storage admin, I still have an opportunity to get a close with the director and the CIO. I'm sure that's probably very similar in your world with multiple people in HR or finance, but don't don't get so wrapped around your coach or your champions axle that you can't get outside of that and tell the bigger, broader story for a positive sales experience. Yeah, as well-intentioned as um, a mid-level manager may be in these accounts, as, as good as they are a coach for you, as good as they are as a sponsor for you, when it comes time to taking that multi-million dollar proposal to the board, it's going to die if it's not relevant to the VP or the CEO. So you need to take control of the sales process to make sure that that, that storage admin or that finance director 
knows the bigger picture here. And if and if you're getting led down a path that's going to lead lead you to getting slaughtered because you're not talking at the right level and you don't you've not built the right business case at the right level, you're ultimately going to get let down because you're going to take a proposal that's going to be out of the ballpark of what that finance director or storage administrator uh, could ultimately get approved, and it will be a big waste of time for everybody. Well, that's a pretty good point across the board. What if you did tailor and take control of the, the sales process by, by including all those people, making sure you were aligned with the board's goals, making sure you were aligned with IT's goals, making sure you were aligned with finance's goals, and tying that all together so that there were multiple divisions inside of your customer that were trying to help you win as well. Yeah, like what? Why don't we give an example here? I think that may help it resonate. That's a that's a great way to put it. So, let's say you've got a, a prospect, Bobby. That uh, let's say you've never spoken to him or her, or even one that you have. You know, you've started an early process with. You've had an early meeting with, and they they drop an RFP in your inbox. Uh, what do you do first? And and like let's say you don't have enough to do. You've not written that RFP. Let's say that's it's kind of you know it's been sent out to half a dozen other people. Well, I just forward it to my virtual team and tell them to respond by the date that it's due so that we can win. Now, my, my team might agree with that, but no, I would not do that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we've all tried it, but you got to have the context around how valuable is your time, your company, your efforts, all that stuff. But you got to try and break the process. You know, we maybe it's the I'd love to respond, but conversation. And, and have some conditions around it. If everybody's going to get the same conference calls to ask questions and you know that they're all going to hear the great things you're going to share, is it really worth your time to try and respond to this one? Those conditions can be a lot of things. In my opinion, it's really going to go back to my time. But do I have a real shot to win? And maybe that's the first thing I would ask that condition. Do I have a real shot to win? Yeah. How about meeting and discovery with the stakeholders. You know, let's say you, a lot of times you don't have the CFO or CIO or CTO that sends out the RFP. A lot of times it's going to be, you know, one of their, one of their people that are sending out this uh, RFP. So maybe you're, you, maybe you say, look, I'd love to do it, but I, I need to have a meeting with the stakeholders. Like I, you, your, your RFP has a lot of details about what you want this new solution to have, like what check boxes it needs to be able to check. But it doesn't tell us why you want to do this project. I want to meet with your team to understand why you're even undertaking this project in the first place. Well, I've never seen an RFP with a budget either, but that would be a good place to start too. Like if we yeah. solved all these things, like you're asking for a unicorn, apparently, if we <laughs> yeah. solved all these things, is it worth $10 million or is this like a $100,000 unicorn you're really trying to find? Um, and beyond that, what if I do solve all this? What about the ancillary things we just talked about? Is finance bought in? Is is security a, a big piece of this? Maybe you have the unicorn from an IT project, but no one's talking about security. There's no way in today's world that that project's going to get approved without security being involved in the process. So maybe those are some points of reference that, or conditions that you would have before you started to respond to an RFP like that. Yeah, it could be a customer request you know, a customer reference visit. So you know, one of the tactics I've seen out there too is, um, well, okay, we'll respond to this. You know, we need to, we need to get this and this and this. Uh, and we also would ask that you have all the five other people that you sent this RFP to um, give you three references for companies in their industry with the product set that you've selected from uh, within two weeks. 
and if you if they can't give those to you, then you should eliminate them from the evaluation. Yeah, that's kind of a, a challenge, not a non-challenger uh, a challenge, man. If most people don't have those references. If they are, quote unquote, the new and up and comers, they're, they're going to really struggle with that. So the ankle biters may get disqualified very quickly. Indeed. It could be, hey, look, I'd love to do this. Uh, it looks like we're a good fit. We had a lot of great conversations, so I feel like I understand the broader context of the RFP. But I'm looking through here, and you want us to have a big demo day, and you want a tactical checkbox demonstration. That's just not the way our product shows. So we'll do this. We'll fill out the RFP. We'll get it back to you in three weeks. Um, but here's what the demonstration day needs to look like. I think I think so many people are afraid to – you get an RFP – I think a lot of, if, especially if you're new in role, you're so excited to have a shot at transacting commercially that you just get so nervous. And what I hear a lot of reps say is, man, that's it's what the customer wants. I got to do it because that's what the customer wants. Even if you, I think we talked about this on a, on a previous episode, even if you truly feel that way, for the love of everything, don't say that out loud to your to the managers and to the pre-sales leaders. It comes off so uh, amateur in the process. And isn't it exactly the opposite of what we're saying throughout this whole episode on this yeah. entire series? Is that it's your job to tailor and take control, and then and tail. T- I guess it's teach, tailor, and take control over this entire process. So if they're sending an RFP and you're not using it as an opportunity to do those three things, what are you doing? You're probably wasting your time. It's better to lose early than to go through all this level of effort and then not get anything out of it. So heed our warning. Uh, Make sure you're doing those three things. Great. The final thing I'd call out is confidence is everything here. Practice, practice, practice these conversations. These are really tough, challenging conversations. I love these conversations. Everyone that's listening at Workday knows that I love to get involved in these types of conversations because it's if you've done this conversation a hundred times or a thousand times, um, you you can really help. Um, you, you can really help know wh- where should I be investing my time? Because at the end of the day, too, if you're investing in the right deals and the right sales cycles, your win rates are going to be higher. You can spend. Uh, less time chasing bad deals, more time chasing good deals because I don't want to work 80 hours a week. That's just not on my life plan. I love to wear this this whoop strap and get out of my bike and go cycling and go running. I don't want to be chasing dummy deals and I won't do it. Uh, I want to chase deals that we have a good shot to win on. And Brian, that's what makes you a challenger, baby. I love it. <laughs> All right, so we're going to wrap up this episode here. Uh, we, we did decide to add a bonus episode on series five, chapters eight and nine get into the challenger manager. Um, this this is a we we initially weren't going to cover this, but we decided to add it to the to the episodes here because we have a number of aspiring uh, account reps that are managers and a lot of first line managers that are listening to the podcast. So we we'll cover that on our next episode. That'll be kind of the final parts of this five part series. I love it. As we always say, average sucks. Average is the enemy. Thanks again for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Please share it with a friend of yours. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show with Bobby and Brian. Subscribe to their email list by going to bobbyandbrian.com and follow them on Twitter at Bobby Brian Sales. <laughs> <laughs>